Amen. Uh, thank you, Michelle, for reading God's word and for our band. Uh, I know my heart's ready uh, to, uh, to rejoice and, and worship through preaching God's word. I hope your heart's ready to, to receive it. Uh, congratulations on making it to church on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, you don't realize meeting on Sunday afternoons becomes somewhat of a conflict once uh, the Super Bowl meets at the same time that you have church. Um, but uh, grateful that you're here. Also grateful uh, that you made it here safely uh, as we had, uh, I think, really one of our first real snows. Um, I think uh, my life was more in danger shoveling my snow in my driveway uh, than it was uh, driving here. And so uh, I don't know if you had that uh, issue today, but if you did, I'm glad you made it and uh, that you're here now. Um, one of the things I know uh, I have missed most during the pandemic is uh, just the simple pleasure of going out to a restaurant. Anybody share uh, that, uh, uh, that sentiment? Uh, I know that we now can uh, go enjoy a meal, uh, but there's just something about going to enjoy a meal, um, either with your spouse or with your friends, uh, the drinks, the appetizers, the good food, conversation about food and conversation about life uh, now. Uh, we have uh, reduced ourselves to watching Netflix docu-series on food to satisfy that part within us that enjoys uh, going out to eat. Um, you know, it's, it's fun, all the DIY things that have become popular uh, during uh, the pandemic. But the one thing that really gets uh, old quickly when it comes to uh, DIY cooking, you know, doing your own cooking at home, is, is the little thing called dishes uh, at the end, you know. And all the things that you could do, all the things that you could cook, uh, looming in the back of your mind is the reality that nobody is coming to clean them up for you afterwards. Uh, and so uh, you, uh, you perhaps begin to think about that as you, as you cook your food. But one of the things that we should um, be drawn to as we think about the, just the blessing of going out to eat, what makes going out to eat so special is the fact that you don't have to do the dishes, right? And, and in fact, you actually go to be served. Somebody asks you what you want to drink. You don't have to go get it and think about it. They ask you what you want, and if you change your mind, you can tell them, of course, you have to pay more money, but they'll get it for you. And then uh, you hem and haw over the menu, and it's like you have a built-in person to give you your opinion uh, you know, about what's good on the menu. You have to judge whether or not they seem like a trustworthy person to give you their opinion about what's best on the menu. But if you trust them and you go with their selection, you even have a built-in helper to choose uh, what you want to eat. Uh, it's really uh, a blessing, and we've been reminded uh, of those who work as servants. Uh, it's easy sometimes in the uh, coming and going, the ebb and flow of going out to eat, that you forget about uh, the blessing of those who are there to serve you. Uh, and as I think about our passage today, it's fitting that we would think about uh, the importance of those who wait tables as an introduction for today's topic, uh, because today we talk about deacons. And if elders are, or pastors, as we talked about last week, are to be faithful leaders of the church, it's deacons that God has designed and called to be faithful servants of the church, and, and particularly leading servants of the church, because God has called all of us, pastor, member, all alike, to, to ultimately be servants, but he has established that there should be some who are leading servants, who help uh, lead the way and even organize others in serving the church. So we've, been, we've, we've seen from Titus and, and looking at the introduction to talking about pastors last week that God has given two offices to the church. Um, those offices are pastor, uh, which also we see in Scripture the term elder and overseer. All those terms uh, overlap and are referring to the same 
office. They bring out different things. Elders reference, references maturity. Overseer references the responsibility of pastors to, to lead. The word pastor itself references the importance of shepherding God's people, caring for God's people, particularly through the preaching and teaching of God's word. But then the other office is deacons. Uh, these offices are not given so that these two groups, pastors and deacons, can do all the work in the church. That's not the purpose of these two offices, but these two offices are given so that the church can be led well and served well so as to fulfill its calling, the calling that God has given to us to make disciples. <clears throat> and it's important for us as we think about this to keep these two offices uh, clear and to understand the difference between them. And last week we, we looked at the office of, of elder or pastor to understand its qualifications and understand the role of the pastor in shepherding and leading and caring for the church. Today we look at deacons. And, and what I want us to do is we're going to look at two passages. Our primary one is what was read before I came up here from 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, but we're going to begin in Acts 6, 1 through 7. So if you have your Bible out, turn open to Acts 6, 1 through 7. The first question I want us to ask and answer is, what is a deacon? <clears throat> Deacons are servants. The word deacon itself means servant. It means also translated minister at times. It, uh, it references those who wait tables. We see this in Matthew 22, and Jesus' interaction there in Luke 10. And we also see it even in Acts 6 here in just a moment, a reference to those who serve tables. It has reference to do with the physical care of others. And we see throughout the Bible that God um, calls many people, and Paul in particular in his letters, calls many believers servants of Christ. It's kind of um, a term that's, that's really reflective of what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be a servant to Christ, to be bound to Him, uh, and to, to be a, a servant of Him. We're, um, <clears throat> we're seeking to serve Him faithfully in everything that we do. That's why we can say that serving is foundational to the Christian life. Who should be uh, a deacon in this general sense? All of us, truly. We don't use that title uh, to, to refer to this because we have an official office, but in the truest sense, all of us are called to be servants. All of us worship a Savior who came not to be served, but to serve. And so our very identity as we submit to Him is to say, God, use me, I am but your servant. That's our identity as Christians. <clears throat> Serving is fitting that God would then design a role within the church to lead the church, so to speak, in being faithful servants. We see this more official role moving from the general sense of being called a servant of Christ to a servant of the church. If you look in Philippians 1.1, Paul writes to the Philippian church and he addresses the Philippian church, but in doing so he says, and also the overseers and the deacons. A clear reference to these two essential offices for the church. We'll look at in just a minute. We also see in Romans 16.1 that Phoebe is not called a servant of Christ, but is called a servant of the church in Sincrea. A particular reference to her role within the church. And then, of course, in 1 Timothy 3, 8-13, we have um, the qualifications that are given for 
the office of deacons. And, and we see that these offices are important and ongoing in the life of the church because these two particular offices are the only ones that we have qualifications for and understanding uh, of what we should be looking for when we uh, lay hands on and, and, and appoint these particular uh, roles within the church. And so uh, as we think about uh, the book of Acts, last week we saw a pattern that emerged in the ministry of Paul. Paul would go and preach the gospel and people would respond. Many people would, would respond with indifference or rejection of the gospel. A good reminder for us, we share the gospel not when we're sure that people like us and they'll receive our message, but we share it faithfully, trusting that God will be the one to do the works in the hearts of people as we share. Some reject and, and, and respond with indifference, but some believe. Some believe and trust in Christ. And then those who believe, Paul begins to strengthen them in their faith. And in Acts 14, 21 through 23, we see this pattern that Paul would go back and strengthen them. Making disciples is where we see that term used again in Acts 14, 23 that Jesus used in Matthew 28. And then he would appoint in the churches overseers or elders to, to lead the church. But what's, di what's missing in that pattern is that apparently deacons aren't um, established as early on. It's not... Um, it's not apparent that there's as great of an urgency or a quickness to do so. And the reason I think that's the case is uh, the role of deacons become particularly important as the church grows and as needs arise, deacons are then appointed to help address those needs and help organize the service to meet those needs in the life of the church. And I think this is one of the reasons that we don't find the qualifications for deacons in the letter of Titus, because Titus is... is our new churches on the island of Crete. So the most essential and urgent thing for Titus to do that Paul leaves him behind to do is to appoint pastors who will lead the church. But as he writes to, to Timothy here in 1 Timothy uh, to the church that's at Ephesus, a church that's been established for probably some 15 years or so now, he's writing uh, to, to encourage them in establishing deacons who will help meet the needs in the church. So what we can say is as needs arise and as organization is required within the church, deacons become essential. So as, as the church grows, as an organization is required within the church, deacons become essential. And that's actually what we see in Acts 6. Let's just read this together uh, in Acts 6, <clears throat> 1 through 7. This is early on in the church at Jerusalem, and it's during the time when the church is still primarily being led by the apostles. Uh, the twelve apostles are there at the church in Jerusalem. And it says in verse 1, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, those who are Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews, those who were Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking Jews, because the Greek-speaking Jews, uh, widows, were being neglected in the daily distribution. Here's a physical need, uh, and now there's an issue of disunity that's arising because a need isn't being met. In verse 2, the twelve, the, the, the apostles or disciples, uh, summon the full number of disciples, basically gather together the early group of believers here, what would be, become the church. And they say it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. You say, how arrogant and rude. <clears throat> no, we, we know that the disciples weren't above, the apostles weren't above getting their hands dirty and serving and meeting needs. But here we begin to see an order and a pattern for the church that's important. They said, therefore, brothers, and speaking to the body of believers, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. 
You see, they're actually calling themselves ministers. It's the same word for servants. Here we, we see a, uh, a pattern of servants of the word and servants of physical needs in the church. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Spirit, Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. <clears throat> and they set them before the apostles and prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. See, the term deacon isn't used here in Acts 6, but we see the term for serving is used multiple times. The, the term for serving tables is a, <clears throat> a reference to the activity of the deacons. Uh, we see those who were... Um, we are to appoint those who would meet this need uh, that's causing disunity within the church so that the ministry of the word can continue. So they appoint these servants. Now, I think in many ways what Acts 6 is, is it's not quite the fully established role of pastor and deacon that we see uh, that Paul talks about in 1 Timothy. But I think it's a precursor to that. Obviously, it's the apostles, not the elders, not the pastors. There's a difference between those roles. But the apostles provide a pattern for what pastors do. They're committed to the preaching of God's word in prayer, and that's essential for the work of a pastor that we see that Paul talks about in 1 Timothy and in Titus. <clears throat> but then we also see the importance of meeting the needs that arise within the church, and that's where we see uh, this kind of early pattern of establishing, setting aside some to do the work of caring for these physical needs of the church. So, Throughout church history, we've looked to Acts 6 as a model for understanding the work of deacons and understanding what, what deacons do. <clears throat> now, here in a minute, I want to give us three purposes for deacons. But I want to give two important clarifications before, before I do that and I dig into what deacons do. Already, you can begin to see um, how, how it, would, it would appear that the role of uh, a deacon is a lesser role than the role of a pastor. But we would be wrong to think that. It's clear that deacons are established often after pastors are established in a church. That becomes clear in the pattern of, of Acts and what we see in the pastoral epistles. <clears throat> However, these two, it's not a matter of lesser. What we see is a different calling requiring different gifts, but no less significant. In fact, the urgency with which the apostles respond and the, the way in which it pleases the entire congregation tells us of how essential it is to have those who both lead uh, the church and pastors and those who serve the church and deacons. We also see that the role of deacon isn't a stepping stone ministry. It's not that a deacon is what you do on your road to being a pastor. A deacon is what you do on your road to getting more responsibility in the church. It's not set up that way. It's not a means to an end, but it's a calling to embrace within the context of the local church. And, and these men in Acts 6 who serve in this particular way, um, in fact, are, are really what take up Acts 7 and then in Acts 8. It's the, the men that are appointed to serve and meet this need who actually are the first ones to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem and take it to a God-fearing uh, African man, a eunuch who's on his way back uh, to Africa from worshiping in Jerusalem. And it's Philip, one of these men, who preaches the gospel to him. 
And it's Stephen who stands up in the temple and, and declares that Christ is the fulfillment of the temple and is stoned for declaring the, the hope that's found in Christ and Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. Serving is not a lesser role. It's not a stepping stone role. It's a role to be embraced uh, in faithfulness to God. And Paul knows this. And the church has always struggled with this. We, we do this within our own lives when we work on a team or within a job, we can get upset that other people have a role that we don't have, or perhaps they're given um, significance that we're not given. And the same can be true in the church. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26, <clears throat> to address this issue of, uh, of how sometimes we can jockey for position and significance in our serving in the church. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body, listen to, listen to how God has designed it, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty than our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, not our physical body, but the church body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, <clears throat> all rejoice together. See, God has, has warned us and, and cautioned us and seen uh, either any particular role within the church as having more importance and significance than another calling us to even give greater honor to those who serve in these ways, <clears throat> and particularly so that we might have the same care for one another, not treating us differently. I, I call myself one of the pastors here, but I am a member of Treasuring Christ Church. Care for me as a fellow member of this church. Your deacons, those who would serve as deacons, are members of the church who lead the church in serving, that we would care for one another in these ways, <clears throat> not uh, bestowing greater significance and honor on some rather than others. So, with that said, from Acts, what, what are the three purposes that we have for deacons? <clears throat> Excuse me for belaboring with my voice. <clears throat> uh, three things I want us to see uh, from, from Acts 6. The purpose that, that we see deacons designed to fulfill. The first is that they care for physical needs. The, the issue that arose was the need for the equal distribution of, of food to the widows in the church. And there were some that were being neglected. And so what, these, uh, what we would see that deacons do from this pattern is that they would meet physical needs in the church. The need for deacons arises, as I said earlier, when, when there is an issue within the church that requires serving. Deacons, as I mentioned, are leading servants. What they do is they actually organize others to serve. They, they help gather the body to meet a need. And in doing this, Deacons, as they serve, they, they meet physical needs for people, but also they're, they're serving a spiritual need, and we'll see that here in just a moment, uh, but they're also bearing witness to the world, because just as we saw from John 13, as Jesus told us, you'll know uh, that they're my disciples by the way that they love one another, and in fact, it's deacons that lead the way in showing how we care for one another, showing how we serve one another. So they care for physical needs of the church, but secondly, they actually promote unity among the members of the church. When I said earlier, they meet a spiritual need for those who are being served, 
what arose in Acts 6 was no small issue. There was a difference between these Hellenistic Greek-speaking Jews and these Hebrew uh, <clears throat> Aramaic-speaking Jews, that there was one being neglected, one being looked over perhaps because in Jerusalem they were primarily more familiar with the Hebrews than the Greek-speaking Jews. It was easier to neglect and not understand what the need was. And so by, by actually serving and meeting a need, deacons are indeed promoting unity because what they do in, in coming around a need is they bind it up with the cords of kindness and loving uh, service, uh, saying, we see you, we're here uh, to help you. Deacons also serve elders by freeing them up to lead the church, to devote themselves to God's word and in prayer. So they organize the church to serve, and they serve pastors by freeing them up uh, to, to devote themselves to God's word and prayer. In doing so, it's putting together and promoting unity within the church. <clears throat> and because of this, when we talk about promoting unity in the church, those who serve should be the least territorial in the church. Deacons are not like, you know, I think sometimes we have this view. Um, <clears throat> thank you. Uh, that, that it's like pastors and deacons are like the two bodies of, uh, you know, of Congress. You know how that's working out, right? <clears throat> so you got the Senate and you got the House, and it's like you got these two groups, um, and, and then, uh, then, of course, you, you have lobbyists who are trying to get those within the Senate or the House to do various things. <clears throat> and, and I think sometimes uh, it, we, we, we think wrongly that that's how de- pastors and deacons are. It's like the pastors are over here deliberating, and then the, the deacons are over here deliberating, and uh, you know they gotta they gotta got speak up for their issues. You know the the house is closer to the people, right? So they they kind of speak the mind of the people, um, and then the senate has has a little bit more of this you know important role to kind of keep things moving in the right direction. And we sometimes look at it in that way, and and that's not at all how we should look at these two roles or the role of deacons. Deacons aren't advocates for their cause. They're they're not territorial. They they are meeting a need, serving that need, and in doing so, serving the church. So deacons care for physical needs of the church. They promote unity among the members of the church, and then they support the pastors of the church. And they support the pastors of the church by actually meeting these physical needs. So deacons aren't a deliberative group, as I mentioned earlier. Deacons don't get together and, uh, and just come up with ideas that they can then pass on uh, to the pastors or get, gather other groups of people to do this or that. That's not the point of deacons. Deacons are a doing body, not a deliberative body. Deacons are to do the work of service, and in doing so, that's how they support the pastors or the elders in meeting those needs and organizing others to meet particular needs in the church. So as we see these three purposes of deacons, it helps us to understand uh, what a deacon is. It's has been described, it's one who is a shock absorber. Uh, you know, as you go over a bumpy territory, you know how important your shocks are. Um, sometimes when you drive on the snow, uh, and the kind of, well, honestly, if you just drive on roads in Michigan, right, you, you learn very quickly if you have good shocks in your car, right? Or you, you, you know, ruin your shocks in your car because you hit potholes uh, every so often. <clears throat> uh, and, and it's those shocks that, that absorb uh, that absorb the, the rough terrain that we drive on. In a similar way, deacons are shock absorbers in the church and that they see and are pointed to meet needs in the church and, and promote unity in meeting those needs, as well as being leading servants who model service as well as organize others to serve. 
I love this quote from Mark Dever that I think points out how these two work together in a beautiful way. He said, churches should neglect neither the preaching of the word nor the practical care of the members that helps to foster unity and fills out our desires to love one another. See, pastors and deacons working together in cooperation with the entire body makes for a healthy church so that uh, the, the work of teaching and preaching is, is done faithfully and the work of meeting needs is also done faithfully. And so if I can kind of step out of this passage for a moment, what we desire to do in the coming year uh, is, is to really develop deacons in the life of our church. Um, as we grow, uh, needs arise. Uh, and, and how we've organized this in the early stages is through serving teams. And we've asked you to commit to serve in various ways. And uh, of course, not everybody will, uh, will be a deacon in this sense, but we see our serve teams as kind of pre-deacon-like uh, uh, ministries. So as we grow, our desire would be to identify and appoint deacons who would be leading servants in these areas where we have needs, needs such as connections, member care, setup, teardown, production, ushering, finances, kids, outreach, all of these areas uh, are areas where we could foresee uh, identifying and appointing deacons to be leading servants in these areas who would not only serve, but who would help organize the service in these areas. <clears throat> we see this as fitting with the pattern um, of, of appointing deacons as the church grows and as needs arise within the church. So that brings us to the important question then of who should be a deacon? Who should serve as a deacon? Like pastors, what we see is we're going to flip over to 1 Timothy 3 is that the most important thing about deacons is that they have a lot of skills and talents. Right? No, that's not, that's not the case. The most important thing about deacons, just like pastors, is their character. What makes someone a good servant isn't that they have particularly a great set of skills <clears throat> like Liam Nielsen, uh, Neeson, um, <clears throat> but it's that they're faithful. It's that their character is in line with God, God's word. <clears throat> they're not called first and foremost to competency and skill, though those things become important within the particular needs that arise. But first and foremost, the thing that matters most is character. I don't know if you <clears throat> probably today you see him a lot more. Um, as you go into a store, you see those signs, help wanted, now hiring. Before the pandemic, there was, there was kind of an issue within, um, within the job market because jobs, the job um, unemployment rate was, was fairly low. There were a lot of jobs that weren't being fulfilled because uh, either people didn't want that type of job, it didn't pay enough, whatever the case might have been. So there were a lot of job openings, but there weren't enough people to fill those jobs. Of course, uh, now that's all gotten a lot more difficult and complicated as some 8 million, I think, or so people uh, are now without a job because of the pandemic. But <clears throat> you see those signs, help one and now hiring. And on one hand, it's easy to think, you know, we'll take anybody who's breathing, right, you know, to meet a need. I think sometimes within the church and sometimes within particularly church plants, it's like, look, if you can walk and, you know, chew gum at the same time, like we could use you, you know. Uh, so just show up and we'll put you to work. And it's important for us to step back and say, like, this isn't just about, you know, look, help however you can, whenever you can. It's important that we care not just about what you can do, but who you are. That character matters. The church is always 
looking, always has the sign up, help wanted, now hiring. What are we looking for? Maturing Christians whose life is above reproach who are willing to give themselves to serve the church. Notice what I said, maturing Christians, just like elders. The role of deacons isn't to be a super Christian. The qualifications largely are the same. Honestly, if you look at them, we're going to see here in a moment uh, the role of a pastor and the role of a deacon, the quality, the character, is not drastically different. It's not like, you know, well, it's okay if the deacons get drunk every now and then, but the pastors really can't, you know. It's like, it's okay, you know, if, uh, if the deacons, you know, fly off the handle and get angry at everybody, but, you know, if the pastors, we don't want, it's, it's really, the character is the same. And honestly, as we think about what it means to grow as a Christian, our, our focus and just a pattern for discipleship that we have here at TCC is we want all of us to grow to be more like Christ. And as we do, we believe God will show us the different ways in which he wants us to serve. Our greatest priority is not what you can do for us, but who we believe God's word is calling you to be. That's what we desire more than anything else. We, we don't believe in a transactional philosophy of ministry. It's not what have you done for me lately. It's not what can you do for me today. It's what is God doing in you? Who is God making you to be? And then us working together to identify those who can serve in these ways. So first and foremost, we see personal character. Look at uh, verse 8 in 1 Timothy 3 with me. <clears throat> we see this transition. He had been talking in verses 2 through 7 about the overseer. <clears throat> now he's going to talk about the deacons. And he says, deacons likewise. Here's the transition. Going from talking about overseers, elders, to talking about deacons. Deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. All of this is personal character. <clears throat> it's all referencing um, the, the character of the individual, that they must be honored and respected by those who know them. That's dignified, not double-tongued, not manipulative and two-faced or deceptive, but, but trustworthy and faithful. Like the elders, deacons are expected to live with self-control, enjoying God's good gifts without being addicted to them or consumed by them, particularly in reference to alcohol, not being addicted to much wine, as well as money, not being greedy for dishonest gain. <clears throat> so we see personal character, but then we see doctrinal fidelity. Wait a second. The deacons don't have the responsibility to teach, but do you notice what it says about their doctrinal fidelity? It says in verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Paul puts an emphasis on having a strong commitment to the gospel and God's word for those who serve. <clears throat> it goes beyond just believe, believing, um, <clears throat> uh, just belief that, that I trust in Christ, per se, but he says that we're to hold the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, the grasp of the gospel, uh, our, our understanding of the gospel, should work itself out in a life that's being changed by the gospel. That's what God's calling us to be for our character to be transformed. And so while deacons aren't called to teach, it doesn't mean that they're not called to be grounded in the faith. <clears throat> and, and I would venture to say, <clears throat> there's more opportunity for sin, or maybe I'll just say it this way, it's not about comparison. There's a lot of opportunity for sin, and opportunity to be sinned against when you're serving. Because you know what happens when you serve? There's this thing. It's like our noses. We all have them. <clears throat> it's opinions, preferences, right? Um, 
they, they sometimes get in the way. Uh, we, we have opinions and preferences sometimes that we hold on too strongly to, that we're not willing to, we're not willing to put them aside and work together on something. And so sometimes in serving, you can get some of the biggest conflict. And what we need are people whose character is being transformed by Christ, but also who are committed to the Word, who recognize, look, <clears throat> I'm not going to hold on to my preference so strongly that I'm going to sin against you. If I believe that this is essential, I'm going to find a way to work through it. If I've sinned against you, I'm also going to address that by confessing my sin and asking for your forgiveness. Not saying I wouldn't have sinned against you if you wouldn't have done that, but by saying, I know that I was wrong in doing that, and even though I have this opinion, I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. I was afraid that you weren't listening to me, that you didn't care about my opinion, and so I did that, so please forgive me. And then the, the brother or sister who receives that, who doesn't say, you're darn right that you were in the wrong, what they say is, I'm so thankful that you said that to me. I really didn't see it that way, but I do see what you're saying. I, I forgive you, and I want, to, I want us to work together. That's conflict resolution 101. You need deacons, you need Christians in the, in the body of Christ who are committed to God's word, who are allowing God's word to change them. Not saying I'll allow God's word to change me when I want it to, <clears throat> but who allow God's word to speak in all kinds of areas. That's a side note for why doctrinal fidelity is so important uh, for deacons. But we also see something that's unstated, maybe an implication uh, for, for elders that's given here as an explicit statement that deacons are to be tested. Let them be tested first and then let them serve if they prove to be blameless. What, what Paul is saying is he says, look, observe, observe a person's life. This, this kind of goes against what we were saying earlier uh, that, that you don't just say, well, look, if you're uh, breathing and willing, we'll take you. But, but we, we want to observe something about your character inquiring of your grasp of the faith, looking for how you serve. Do you serve only when you're asked to be served, or do you see needs and respond to them? <clears throat> those who would be appointed as deacons who would be leading servants are those who give themselves to serving without being asking, but because they desire uh, to, uh, to meet needs and to, to help build up the body. But the overarching qualification and testing is the same that we saw for pastors. It's to be blameless. Not super Christians, but commendable Christians, maturing in the faith, committed to serving the church. And then, and then we, we see this transition in verse 11. It says, uh, the ESV, depending on your translation, my translation says, Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Some of your translations say, but the women, likewise, should be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. You see, the word for wives and women in Greek is the same word. Um, and depending on the context, it can be used to refer uh, to either one. <clears throat> in the Greek, there is no pronoun there, uh, but that's supplied by the context uh, of the passage. We know from verse 2 as well as verse 12, the word for one woman, one, let me make my words right, <clears throat> to be a, a husband of one wife, that's the same word that's being used there. So on one hand, it makes sense that we would see perhaps this is a reference to wives. However, because there's no pronoun, um, and, and it begins with likewise. Uh, you see that in verse 8 as he begins to talk about deacons. He says likewise. It's a, a key word that notes a transition. So it could be transitioning just to talk about deacons' wives, or it could be talking about female deacons. And additionally, I, I think there's a, an argument to be made. This is talking about female deacons because... <clears throat> It seems rather strange to me that Paul would be concerned about deacons' wives, but not pastors' wives, who have a greater responsibility in leading 
the church. But at the bare minimum, because these two opinions, you have those who see this as female deacons, those who see this as the wives of the deacons. At the bare minimum, we would say that Paul is saying that he would expect or envision that the wife of a deacon, a male deacon, would serve alongside him in some capacity. At the bare minimum, that's what one would say based on this passage that I think everyone could and should agree with just on the plain reading of the text. But I don't think it would be a stretch just as we would apply the qualifications for a married man with children, for a pastor or even for a deacon to apply to a single man who would be faithful in purity and in his relationships to be qualified to serve as a pastor or as a deacon, that it wouldn't be a stretch to extend what Paul is saying here, that if women meet these qualifications, married or otherwise, would be able to serve as deacons. There's not a female version of the word deacon in the Bible, deaconess, though we would use those terms to... uh, basically describe the difference, but the the office is deacon, irrespective of male or female. That's the office, but uh, we often use the word deaconess to uh, describe those who would be female serving in this capacity. So I believe it's fitting for any woman qualified in character to serve as a deacon. And the reason I believe I can say that, and the reason we would come to that conclusion, is it's really consistent with the pattern that we see, and we said this last week as we try to wrestle through how we understand the scriptures, and we talked about kind of the two primary positions, and there's variations within those positions of egalitarianism, complementarianism. We, we would hold to a complementarianism that, that understands and sees the significance, the vitality, um, the absolute essential role that women have played in the life of the church that is rooted in the essential role that women played in the ministry of Jesus and the Apostle Paul. And, and furthermore, as I mentioned earlier on when I was talking about Romans 16, perhaps the, uh, uh, the, the thing that brings this together is that we see Phoebe is called a deacon, a servant of the church in Sincrea. Some would say, well, she's a servant of the church. She played an important role. She brought the letter uh, to the Romans. <clears throat> That's no small task, but it's, it's not the same as all the other references to servant of God or servant of the Lord Jesus that you see in reference to Titus and reference to Paul himself. Jesus calls himself a servant, but she's a servant of the church, a deacon of the church at Sincrea. So Phoebe isn't just a servant in general, but I believe a, a deacon in a particular church carrying out these vital functions of meeting needs within the church. So at TCC, based on our reading of this passage and understanding uh, how uh, we would see the Scripture speaking to this issue holistically, that men and women can and should serve in the role of deacon or deaconess to help care for the needs of the church, to promote the unity of the church, and to support the pastors of the church. And those qualifications that are given here <clears throat> are to be dignified, just like it says in verse 8, not slanders, <clears throat> which is double-tongued, the same that we see in verse 8, but sober-minded and faithful in all things. There's the same expectations of self-control, not giving in to every passion or desire, trustworthy in all things that are expected of those who would serve as deacons. And he picks back up, continuing this description of qualifications of deacons, and particularly referencing the family life of male deacons when he switches back to addressing... Uh, marriage and family. Deacons must be faithful to their wives, particularly in their sexual fidelity. They must be one, a one-woman man. 
giving themselves physically and emotionally only to their wives. I think God in particular here has put an emphasis on on temptations that men serve. And I mentioned this last week, men serving as pastors as well as those serving as deacons within first century context as well as in 21st century context, the call to purity. This is true for both women and men. The statistics of women who struggle with purity uh, are rising at a rate uh, that that is comparable to, to, to men who are struggling in this area. But I believe, and I don't think I'm going out on too much of a limb, that the lie of sexual autonomy and sexual self-expression and the giving in to temptation in these areas is perhaps hamstrung and hindered more men and women from serving faithfully in the church and in the mission of God, perhaps, than any other area. And so I don't think it's an accident that Paul pushes in, not just for pastors, but also for deacons, calling those who would serve in these ways to purity, to faithfulness in their marriages, to purity in their relationships. It's not an unforgivable sin. Christians should be people who, when they sin, are willing to confess and repent to turn from it. That's what I want us to understand. I don't want to have a a, a view of grace that's so magnificent and big, but yet we run away uh, from that grace when we're dealing with sins that are uncomfortable and icky to talk about. There's no sin that's bigger than God's grace. There's nothing that uh, that can hold back the transforming power of the gospel in a person's life when they're willing to bring it before the Lord. Additionally, men who serve as deacons are to manage their children and their households well. It doesn't say that they are to do this because they are to manage the household of God as the pastors are. But I think in a similar way, if you're called to lead the church in service and you're not serving and caring for those who are closest to you, what right do you have to be a leading servant in the church? Is I think uh, what we see both in marriage and in family and, and honestly in any of our relationships It's actually in those relationships that it brings out the true character that we have. The way that we treat those closest to us shows our character, and that's what Paul points out. So, we see the importance of character throughout 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 12, that those who should serve as deacons are those who are maturing in Christ, uh, who are commendable in their character, who are allowing the gospel to transform them, Not perfect Christians, commendable Christians, willing to take up the role and responsibility of being leading servants in the church, meeting needs and organizing others to meet needs. That brings us to the final question. Why serve as a deacon? Verse 13 actually gives us the answer. It says, Those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. We tend to be grateful for those who serve us, but I think we can easily look at those who serve us or the role of serving as, as kind of the role that we're grateful for, but we don't want to have, right? Like we want to get beyond serving and get to the point of being served. That's the way our world looks at it, right? How different it is from the way of Christ, who said he came not to be served, but to serve. He shows us that in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. And Paul says those who serve as deacons, who serve well as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves, which refers to appreciation and respect from the church, 
as well as confidence or assurance in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. It's a, a boldness and a confidence. that It's not about um, that our serving saves us, but that God would use our serving to strengthen our faith and our confidence that we belong to Him. And, and I think what happens is as you serve, what you do is you get a front row seat to watching God work. As you give yourself to service, you get to see God work in and through people. And it's in doing that that you're, you're comforted and encouraged and emboldened in your faith to say, yes, God is at work. We want a gospel that saves as well as a gospel that works in the sense that it changes us. And as we give ourselves to serve others, we see its fruit. And I think it's actually deacons who perhaps embody Christ more than any other in the church. Because Jesus told us that <clears throat> if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. By faithful service, deacons become the flesh and blood illustration of the humility and the service of Christ. Become a model for all of us as we seek to embody the way of Christ and the way that we would live, that we would model humility and service for the glory of Christ. It's indeed more blessed to give than to receive, to serve than to be served. That's the way of Christ. That's the pattern that he's given us in the church. And, and Paul concludes his teaching on elders and deacons in 1 Timothy 3 uh, with verses 14 through 16, which is really a reflection on the nature of the church. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you would know how you ought to behave in the household of God, how you ought to order things in the household of God. Why? Because it's in the household of God that we embody what it means to be God's family as brothers and sisters. It's in the church that we are the, the dwelling place of the living God, he says. And the place where we hold firm to the truth. And we hold high the truth so that all might know it. A pillar and buttress of truth. And it's when the church is organized with faithful pastors and faithful deacons that we can be the church that God has called us to be with faithful pastors and faithful deacons, the whole body, with each part working properly, as it says in Ephesians 4, 16, the whole body will build itself up in love. That's why this is so important. It's not just about getting the titles right so we can call people the right things. It's about being a healthy church that's led well and served well. And as we continue to grow and step into this year, we're praying that God would raise up deacons, deaconesses to serve in the life of TCC, who would become leading servants, organizing others to lead and meet needs. And as we do that, we'll uh, be having conversation, be asking uh, perhaps some to, to serve and, uh, and testing, uh, as it says in 1 Timothy 3.10, and then appointing deacons and deaconesses to serve in the life of our church. All of this pattern after what Christ has told us is a healthy church, what he's called us to as his people. And that's what I'm praying God continues to enable us to do. I know as we get back into the rhythm of meeting in person, in some ways it feels like growing pains. Everything has to start over, and we're trying to figure it out and get this right and get that right. And you've got serving schedules that are coming out, and we're working out all these things. That's the sign of a church that's at work, doing what God has called it to do. 
And I pray that it continues and that the Lord would strengthen and enable us uh, to be faithful to what he's called us to. Let's pray and we'll continue.